If you would please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll just look at the 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on on their behalf. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this just this beautiful day for the opportunity to be together and sing praises to you and give you honor, give you glory, um, give you the adoration that you deserve, sing of your greatness, sing of your goodness, sing of your love and your mercy toward us, sing of your grace. Lord, it's, it's appropriate that we do that. Because you have created us for that purpose, for that reason. And Lord, it's our privilege. It's our joy to give you adoration and praise and worship, honor, glory. Because it's all due to you anyway. So Lord, we are just doing what comes natural to a believer, to a Christian. And Lord... We thank you. Thank you for using us. Thank you for allowing us to be your children. Thank you for being our God. Now, Father, I pray that you would bless our time together in your word. I pray for understanding. I pray for clarity. I pray that uh, we would apply these things to our own lives and heart. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last week we began to ask the question, what do we... How do we respond? What do we do with this profound love? How do we respond to this profound love of Christ? These doctrines of grace that we have been studying. This idea that God has chosen for Himself a people for His own possession. And at just the right time, He sent His Son to die on the cross, to shed His blood, to purchase that people back for Himself. How do we respond as those people, as that group of people? What do we do with that? Well, the answer is very evident. The answer is very clear. And that is a life of dedicated service to Him. We serve Him. We respond in in giving our lives to Him. Now, a clarifying question then would be, how do we sustain that? How do we constantly, continuously sustain dedication to the Lord and love for the Lord? And I spent some time last week just briefly laying down that foundation that it has to come from understanding. It comes from within. It's not something that we muster up from without, but it comes from within something that, uh, that drives us. And it's understanding. It has to be attached to the mind. There has to be understanding there. And I believe that it comes from an understanding of what God has done for us. An understanding of God's love for us. Christ's love for us. And that's what 
Paul is getting to here. And when we have understanding, the deeper our understanding of the love of God, the deeper our dedication and commitment and love to Him. I came across this uh, quote this week that I thought was insightful. And I'd never heard this before. This is kind of a new concept to me, but it's from a man who I trust, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he was a doctor from the previous century. And he was a doctor. He went through med school. He passed. He came out. He practiced just maybe just a little while, if that. But he became a pastor. And he says this. He says, the ultimate test of our spirituality is the, um, is the measure of our amazement at the grace of God. How amazed are we at the grace of God? Now, that's, that just struck me because there's all kinds of ways to measure our spirituality. And I've never heard anyone say, you judge it by your amazement, by how amazed you are at what God has done, at His grace, at His love. But you know what? We've been singing songs like that for years. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Amazing love. How can it be? What a what wondrous love is this? We sing those songs and, and why? Because we are amazed. We are we it's a it's a love that we cannot really comprehend. Now we saw a picture of this last week, and it was just the last illustration we used from scripture. It was a the picture of of Jesus setting down with uh, Simon at uh, in his house. Simon was the a Pharisee, and in comes this lady, this sinful woman, and he she was beginning to wash Jesus' feet. And and Christ said, uh, and he used this as a, an illustration, and he told a parable. And it came down to this <clears throat> that she uh, loves much because she was forgiven much, and she understood that this lady had understanding. She understood her position. She understood her sinfulness. She understood who Christ was. But as Jesus pointed out, in contrast, Simon, the Pharisee, he didn't get it at all. He didn't have very little. He didn't have very much understanding at all. He didn't realize his, his sinfulness. He didn't even realize who he was dealing with. He was treating Jesus as kind of an equal he had very little understanding, very little amazement. But this lady was profoundly moved. She was, she was amazed at Christ. She understood. She had spiritual discernment there. But I, I'm afraid in our churches today, many churches across America are losing that amazement. And it's because we don't quite understand. I think there's a theology that has just weakened and been watered down. And it comes down to our understanding of our own salvation. Our own salvation. I believe that we have a man-centered salvation. A man-centered understanding of our salvation. Very shallow. It's a salvation that glorifies and emphasizes the free will of man. But it also diminishes God's sovereignty. It's a salvation that the, the very nature of man is not, not totally depraved, is not totally helpless. He can choose God whenever he wants to, given the right appeal, given the right motivation, given that right appeal, he can choose God whenever he wants to, without God, the Holy Spirit, working in him. 
He could choose. Man is in control. Certainly God's not in control. It's a salvation where if God is in control, if He did choose us, it was based upon His ability to look down to the, in the future. And see that I would have enough spiritual discernment. He'd see that I would have enough, uh, uh, muster up enough faith to choose Him. And so then He chose us. Then He chose me. As almost to save face, as almost to say, I'm, I'm the one in control. He's at least pretending to be in control. That's a weak salvation. But it's a salvation in which we can decide to follow Christ without actually following Christ. It's a salvation. We come to God in our own terms. We, this fruit, spiritual fruit isn't necessary. There's no demands placed on our lives for obedience. Obedience is optional. There's no change in our lives necessary. And God is just happy to have us on His team, giving Him a try and, and trying Him out. That is not the salvation that we have in Scripture. That is not what we see. That is a shallow salvation. You say, well, what is the big deal? What's the, so what? Well, it, if we have watered down our gospel, if those are the things that we think of as being the gospel, folks, the more I study scripture, that's what we've done. The more I study scripture, we see, I see a different gospel in scripture than what we hear preached today. And if we have watered down our understanding of the gospel, it will diminish our gratitude toward God. It will diminish our appreciation toward God. It will diminish our love for God. And it will diminish our worship. It will diminish our Christian joy. And motivation for spiritual things. If we don't have a right understanding, we will not be so amazed at this God who has demonstrated such amazing love. It produces a, a lack of understanding. The, the, the less we know. It produces an apathy. And we don't grow like we should. There's no power in our life. We don't know how to defeat sin or handle sin we will never be properly motivated in the Christian life until we understand the greatness of God's saving love. We'll not be properly motivated. Now Paul, Paul's a good example for us, isn't he? I mean, he was, he was driven. He was, he was dedicated. He suffered much, but he never turned back. Even when he was writing this 2 Corinthians, he was under attack. There were those who were trying to undermine his ministry. Those who were trying to uh, squelch him and, and make him his voice not heard at all. But he did not give up. He pushed on. I mean, he was chased from town to town by these, these Judaizers, these Jews who would, who would beat him. They would find him, they would beat him and throw him out of the city. One time they, they beat him, they threw him out of the city and left him for dead. They thought he was dead. He gets up, revives, he gets up, and goes back in and begins to preach again. Now that is a faith, that is a love, that is a drive that many of us lack today. He was in prison. He was shipwrecked. He spent a night and the day in the ocean. But he didn't quit. He didn't quit. And to say Paul was motivated is an understatement. He's not motivated. He is driven. He is driven. And Paul says, hey, do you want to know the secret? 
Do you know what drives me? Do you want to know what motivates me? It's right here in verse 14. For the love of Christ, the love of Christ controls me. That's Christ's love for me. Christ's love for His people. And He says, it controls me. It urges me. It's something inside. That's, it's not some, some pressure from the outside, some guilt, some, some, well, they want me to do this, they want me to do that. No, this is internal motivation. And He says, it urges me. It pushes me into action. It's motivation. And it comes, He says, from understanding. He says, having concluded this, That means he's thought about this. He's meditated on this. He's reached a judgment. He's he's come to a conclusion having given some thought to it. And, And he bases it upon a couple of theological strands that we'll look at. That Paul was motivated. Paul was motivated. And he's letting us in on the secret to his motivation, his drive. And it's the love of Christ. The love of Christ. But that love of Christ was demonstrated in two ways. Here it is. The proper response. Actually, you have a handout in the book, in your bulletin. You can look there. The proper response to the doctrines of grace, this profound love that that God has for us, is one of amazement of God's love that yields, and this is it, that yields a life of service to Christ. We serve Christ. It starts out with this profound love. And and the more we understand what He has done for us, it's amazing to us and it drives us. It drives us to serve Christ. Even when everything is stacked against us. And the question that we'll look at is, how do we sustain long-term love and devotion for Christ? what Paul is telling us. And he bases it upon two main just theological concepts. Two demonstrations of God's love for us or Christ's love for us. The first one being, he says this, for the love of Christ controls us. That's not just Paul, but us. Having concluded this, having thought about it and come to conclusion that one died for all, therefore all died. Now listen, if there's going to be a theological statement that's going to drive you, you just think, that's a little lacking. But I believe it comes back to our understanding. Our understanding is, we don't see this as that profound, Paul. What is it? Well, here's point number one. The fact that Christ's, Christ's sacrificial death incorporates the believer's death. Now, there's two things that, that we need, that every person needs. And that's, that's first of all, we need death. Say, what? We need death? Yeah, we need death. We need death to sin. We have to have it. It is sin that is poisoning us. It is sin that is killing us. And we need death to sin. But we also need life. Now we don't have that ability. Once we're dead, we're just dead, right? We need life as well. And of course, both are found in Christ. And here's what he says. So this whole concept is built around the death of Christ. The death of Christ. And he says this. One died for all, therefore all died. Now, what in the world does that mean? 
Let's just break it down. One died. Now, we know that one was Christ. He died. Now, that's amazing in itself. That's incomprehensible, really. I mean, when you look at all the stories of the the Greek gods, there is not one who died for us. It's always the mortals. It's always the people that give their lives up for the gods. But this God, He came down. The second person of the Trinity, He came down. Christ Jesus came down and He allowed Himself to be put on the cross and killed for us. Folks, that's amazing. That's amazing. And He says, for all. One died for all, therefore all died. Now, what does that mean, for all? Now, that's not just, that's not all Without distinction, there has to be some clarifications here. It's not all without distinctions. One died for all, therefore all died. So all those who he died for, what did they do? They died. And what does that mean? Well, last week we looked at Romans chapter 6. Turn back over there. We'll just look at the one verse real quick. Romans chapter 6, in verse 6. Knowing this... That our old self was crucified. Now that's what we needed. Remember? We needed death. We needed to kill off this sinful body essentially. Knowing this. That our old self was crucified with Him. We needed that death. And we could die in Him. In order that the body of sin might be done away with. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Now, this is, this is incorporating our death with Christ's death. If you go back up to verse five, he says, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, it's our union with Christ that connects us to his death. When we are united through faith, putting our faith and trust in Him, repenting of our sins and giving our lives over to Him. We're united with Him and saying, I will follow Him. We will unite with Him. And He says, here's here's your death that you need. Here's your life that you need. And and you're going to need that. Why? Because our sin had to be dealt with. Our sin had had to be taken care of, gotten rid of. And so... Christ says, I'm amazed that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, came down and He died. And all of that, adding to that, is that we died with Him. That we died with Him. So the all has to mean those who He died for, therefore they all died. Now those are believers. The world world is not crucified to Christ. The world is not dead in Christ. They are still living in their sins. Yet, yet we, we have died with Christ. We've been crucified with Christ. That's a wonderful thought. Those are amazing thoughts. This isn't some kind of generic atonement. This isn't potential atonement. This is a definite. He came to die for them. And they, in turn, died. Their life was hidden in Christ and died in Christ. Now, those are two amazing thoughts, but let me give you what's Paul saying here. This is, Paul is talking about a substitutionary death, a substitutionary atonement. We should have been the one to die. Look at verse 21. You're in 2 Corinthians 5, 
Look at verse 21. And He made Him, that's Christ, who knew no sin. Christ was perfect. He hadn't experienced sin. It wasn't His sin. Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. It was for us. It was your sins. It was my sins. And all that sin was placed upon Christ on our behalf. Those who would believe in Him. So that we might no longer, uh, that we might become the righteousness of God. That's not talking about the world. That's talking about us. We become the righteousness of God. We live out righteousness then on a daily basis. Now why, why is this not amazing to us? Why do we just, I, I think for one reason, we probably just don't ponder this enough. Or, or maybe it's because we failed to see how bad our sins were, our sins are. And I believe that, that when we forget how bad our sins are, that, that we needed death, we needed the death of sin, we needed to kill off sin in our own lives. Because it was poisoning us, it was killing us. It was that sin that we should be so glad to get rid of. That we're not no longer tied to. Let me show you another verse. In this, uh, turn over to Romans chapter 5, verse 6. This is why it's so important to us. For while we were still helpless, that's a good definition of total depravity. We were helpless. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. He died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God, He demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, still sinful, we were still in rebellion against God. Christ died for us. That's profound love. It's profound love. He died for us as a substitutionary atonement. And it wasn't because we were so good. It wasn't because we were so cute and had so much potential. No. We were in rebellion against Him. And I I think we forget that. We were devastating... His universe. So much so that He had to send the second person of the Trinity to come down to put sin to death. He had to kill off sin. And He had to do it with His own blood. It was a huge sacrifice. I think we were reckless. To the point that He had to create, He's going to have to create a new heaven and a new earth. That one independent act from God is rebellion against the most powerful being in the universe. And we don't see it as that big of a deal. We're just exercising what we want to do, yes, but that is in rebellion against God. Do, you, do we not understand that? And that rebellion, every thought, every sinful thought, every rebellious action is against God and Christ Jesus came and He died for those sins. We also, I believe, fail to see the holiness of God, of how holy and pure and righteous God is, how distinct He is in His own nature from us. The glory of 
His universe is what we are messing up with our sin and our rebellion against Him. Folks, it is a rare thing and a special thing for somebody to die for you, for somebody to die for me, especially when we don't deserve it. I mean, if we were good people, maybe somebody would say, oh, you know what, they're good people. Choose me. I'll go down and I'll die for them. No. There's no angel in heaven that would say, oh, look how nice they are. It wasn't like that at all. We were in rebellion against God. So we're not motivated out of guilt to serve the Lord. We're we're motivated by gratitude, by appreciation for what He's done, the substitutionary death that He uh, did for me, that He died for me, that united. And because of my union with Him, I enjoy that death. That's a strange thing to say. But we needed death. We needed to get rid of that sinfulness. And folks, Paul says, that's amazing. Paul says, that's what drives me. That's what urges me on. That kind of rare love. That unconditional love that we see in God. So Paul was motivated by this love was demonstrated as a substitutionary atonement. Number two, let's look at the number, the next one here. The fact that Christ's sacrificial death gives the believer the opportunity to live for Him. Now this is, this is profound. This is something that is amazing. We can live the life we were intended to live. Look at verse 15. And He died. Now that's the theme, remember? He died for us. He died for us, so we died in Him. And He died for us, so that those who live, that they who live, that's all of those whom He died for, and all of those who have died in Him by putting their faith and trust in Him, He died for them, who lives. So we not only die, but we also live in Him. That's that union with Him so that we might no longer live for themselves. So that they would no longer live for themselves. This union with Christ produced a death that we needed, but it also produced a life that we needed. A life that we could not muster up ourselves. We could not do that. We we might be able to die for our sins, but we would have to die for all eternity. Forever and ever and ever. And our sins would still never be paid for. But He died for our sins and He caused us to be able to live again through His resurrection. So that union with Christ, we died and we also live His life. We live His life. And He says, so that those who might no longer live for themselves. The word might there is not, well, they they possibly. It, It could be possible for them to do that. No, it, it is an intention. This is, this is the purpose. This is the purpose so that they might. They, they are fulfilling their intentions by doing this. That's the idea that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Now think about that. We are no longer enslaved to sin. We can, we can be freed from sin. We, we don't have to live for self. Now, Paul summed it up wonderfully in Galatians chapter 2. 
in a verse you know well. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. That's, a, that's the death. That's the death that we needed. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live. Paul, I thought you died. Yes, I died, but I, I live. And the life in Christ lives in me, in the life which I now live in the flesh. He's getting very specific here. This is the life that I'm living. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Folks, that's it. That's it in a nutshell. The death, the life, the motivation. He did it for me. That's wonderful thought. Those are amazing thoughts. But he, he died... To free us up from sin so that we can now live for Him. We can live for Him. Now that's, that's amazing. That's profound thoughts. This union with Christ that we have. A status of the courts. That's legalistic jargon or legal jargon. He's just talking about we have been declared. We've moved from guilty to innocent. And that's just on the legal term. Now, I understand that we still sin, but we don't have to. We don't have to. We're not enslaved to it anymore. In fact, we're declared righteous before God. Now, let's try to illustrate this. You have a person that's in prison, and um, he, he does his time. He is able to get out of prison. So they say, oh, they open the prison doors. See, you're free to go. And, okay, great. Thank you very much. But he stays in the prison cell. The door's open, but he stays there. He says, I like it there. This is my cot, you know. Look at, look at, look at what I've got here, you know. 10 by 10 and 15 by 15 cell. And how, how good, uh, you know, I wouldn't have it so good out there. I'm just going to stay here. That's foolishness, isn't it? You're free. And we have been set free from sin. And so often we stay in this little prison cell and say, No, I'm enslaved to my sins. No, you are not. We are not. We do not have to live life for ourselves. We have been freed for that. They no longer live for themselves in that sinful bubble that they live in. Where they're, they're driven by jealousy. Driven by bitterness and and greed and self-centeredness and and anger and fear. We no longer have to be in that little prison cell. Motivated by gossip and hatefulness that holds us. We We are free to look outside ourselves. Now that's profound. It's only profound though if you understand where we came from. If you only understood where our sin, our sinfulness had enslaved us so much, folks, we can go back to the Garden of Eden the way it should have been, the way it should be even now. And, and we work and serve God. And we come along in the cool of the evening and we talk with God. And He says, how was your day? What did you do today? Oh, it was great. I'm experimenting on this. I'm doing this. Oh, yeah, that's great. It's good to see the progress. And you have this relationship. You have this communion with God where you're serving God and He's he's with you. And life is as it should be. We can live that kind of life. And Paul says that is amazing to me. It's amazing to me. 
One day, one day we can be guilty before God and all of a sudden be pronounced innocent. In fact, not only innocent, but righteous. We can be pardoned. And not only pardoned, but perfected. We can be freed from this sin. Now let me ask you, is this amazing to you? Is it amazing to you to be able to live a life free from sin? You say, well, you'll never be free from sin. Well, there's a, we'll never be perfect, right? But listen, we can choose to say no to sin. In, in fact, we can choose to say yes to proper motivation. We can love God with all our heart, soul, mind. We can love our neighbor as ourselves. We can. We're freed to do that. We're freed to enjoy God. We're freed to work for Him and please Him with our lives. We may not be perfect, but we certainly can be progressing toward that. The proper response to the doctrines of grace is amazement. Amazement of God's love. And that should yield, folks, a life of service to the Lord. That that we just give our lives. That is bare minimum that we give our lives for Him. There's two things that we needed. We needed death. God provided that, death to sin. We needed life. Christ provided that. He rose again, if you look at the last part. But for Him, we can live for Him who died and rose. Both of those things, death and life, rose on what? On our behalf. We didn't do anything. We didn't, do, we didn't deserve it. We were still in rebellion against God. Paul says, listen, this thought, this is amazing to me. This profound love, it drives me. It drives me to serve God. And I have to ask myself, and I have to ask you, do we rob God? Do we rob God of a a life of service to Him? A life of righteousness and glory to Him because we don't understand these things? Because we don't, we don't sense the, the profundity here, the profound love that we rob God? Will we always be just babes who just, well, I know enough of the Bible to kind of get by? Or do we search the Bible out for understanding? So in turn, we can live a life that's glorifying to God. And we can live a life that's freed from sin and the motivations that used to drive me. We can be properly motivated in serving the Lord with good intentions, with, with noble hearts, and doing the right things. Let me close by just some words. Martin Luther This is the last little part of the verse. And you'll know the song. He said this. He says, Love so amazing. Love so amazing. Love so divine. Demands. It demands my soul, my life, my all. He got it right. He had a great understanding of himself and his God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Father, give us, 
give us a deeper understanding. And Lord, we know that it's not just going to come on us. We know that just as you told Timothy to study, to study yourself, study to show yourself approved unto God. Help us to meditate like Paul and study like Paul and reach conclusions in our own lives like Paul. And then, Lord, help us to be amazed. Help us to see. Help us to be clear understanding. (coughs) Not just our own understanding, but but what you provide, but the understanding the Holy Spirit provides, we, we recognize that it has to come from you as well. But Lord, then in turn, as we are amazed, as we are captivated by this love, may it drive us, may it compel us, may it urge us and control our lives. Everything that we do. But Lord, it starts with understanding. It starts with with coming to some conclusions in our own lives, reading this Word, and then being amazed at what You have done for us. Amazed at Your love, this unconditional love. We can't boast about it. We don't deserve it. It's just been given to us, granted to us. Father, that's what grace is. Lord, help us to respond in kind. Not not robbing You of the life that You deserve, but giving You our lives. And and not just weakly, but anemically and apathetically. But let us be driven. Let us be motivated. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me, please. Profound thoughts, if we think about them, if we allow our minds to try to comprehend the incomprehensible, really? And that's kind of where we are, isn't it? Minds are foggy, minds are cloudy sometimes, but we search, we seek for understanding, to be amazed. If we can help you in any way, we'd love to be able to do that. I will be in the back this week. Uh, or throughout the week, if you want to stop by my office, we'd love to be able to talk with you. You can talk with any of the elders, really, even the deacons as well. Uh, just approach us. That's why we're here. We'd love to be able to do that. Um, I pray, as Dave prayed earlier, if you have not settled these things, these are spiritual matters, if you have not settled them in your own heart and in your own mind, if you have not repented of your sin and put your faith and trust genuinely in Jesus Christ and following Him, you need to do that. You need to do that. Those are things you're not going to have understanding. You're not really going to be amazed. You will not really get it until you take that step. That step of yieldedness to God. That step of giving to Him, repenting. And if we can help you again, if we can help you, we'd love to be able to do that. Thank you for your faithfulness. I know a lot of people have been sick. Thank you for your prayers for me. Uh, I love our church family. It's wonderful to be together. Father, we thank you for your grace. 
Lord, we throw up our hands. We can't really comprehend this kind of love, but we accept it. We recognize that it comes from a a gracious God. Lord, again, help us to serve you with the right motives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.